Welcome to the Modern Therapist Guide to Nothing. Hey, everybody. Thank you for tuning in. We are Dave and Greg. We are. Just two average dudes mm-hmm. on a pretty average podcast. Yeah. Slightly above average, I think. You always say that. Yeah. Well, that's how I feel. Dave, today, let's talk about some of the darkest manifestations of, I, I think, embarrassment and shame. That's when I, when I think of these cases that we're going to talk about today, I think that's the base emotion, right? Embarrassment and shame? Yeah. 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 And we're talking about hidden people and not the Hilda folk. You know who those are? No idea what you just said. Oh, that—that's that. Did you just swear? No, I didn't. <laughs> Hilda Folk yourself. I don't know. I'm sorry. Wow. No, Hilda Folk are um, Icelandic folklore. I think we mentioned it in the Leprechaun episode. Okay. Okay. I was no, gonna, I was going to make an off-color joke. But yeah, I, I guess there's a swear in their name. Isn't that hysterical? Yeah. You swore. I was going to say, do you kiss your mom with that mouth? <laughs> oh wow. That would have been weird, right? Yeah. I mean, I, I do, guess though. I still said it right on the cheek. You know. Um, appropriately. Why do you have to specify on TV? Because. We'll assume. Yeah, I, I don't know why I felt the need to specify. Yeah, that made it weird that you had okay. to specify. I, on the cheek, I swear to God. <laughs> I'm not lying, guys. <laughs> Dave, what did you think about these two people that we uh, did a little research on? Uh, so we each took a person. Yeah. So I will rephrase that question. My person, <laughs> I thought, was probably not going to be as interesting as your person. And I feel like you intentionally did that. Yeah. That's a fact (laughs) (laughs) when you so all right so let's give a little like context to this so when we came up with the the episode this is greg's pick so if you you know however you feel about it just you're welcome greg's pick uh we he came up with the two people he wanted to highlight today and i texted him and i said you know it's a lot of research doing two people why don't we each take one i said i let him pick knowing damn well which one he was going to give me any any took that bait Hook, yeah. line, and sinker. And I let him have it because I remember last time we did the same thing was the oh, Philadelphia experiment. Oh, yes. And you told you told me I had the way more interesting one. So I felt <laughs> bad. And I was like, you know what? I'll let Greg have this. Yeah. And I appreciate it because I do have the way. Everyone's going to be like, Dave's is boring. No, actually, I don't believe that, though. I Dave's think there's is a snooze fest. There's some in, no, there's some interesting um themes behind yours for sure oh wow cool greg interesting themes that's what i'm going for that's what people are into i just want a tight ass story dude <laughs> okay well then you're about to get one right now oh you're I'm going gonna first? talk about you don't want to start with this news and then get into the heavy stuff no no let's get right into it the good stuff so i'm going to talk about blanche Amonier. she's otherwise known as the confined woman of poiters so this is a french woman who was confined in a tiny room in the attic by her own aristocratic mother and brother. Of course, they were aristocrats. Now, let's talk about why that happened and how dark and... So 25 years in a tiny room. We're going to talk about what that looks like and how the hell that happened, okay? So this woman, she's a beautiful socialite, 24, 25 years old. She has the eye of everyone around. I mean, she's like, if you're going to think of a modern equivalent, I don't know, like Taylor Swift or, or, or no, actually more of like a Paris Hilton It's just, or the Kardashians. She's just rich because she has money. She's part of the aristoc- <laughs> aristocracy. Are you, what, are what, you what, still what? in 2003? All right. What Paris Hilton? That's, what? That's hot. So we're talking about, all right. So what I'm saying, all right, fine. The, the Kardashians. You right? always bring up the Kardashians. No, I guess I secretly love them. Let me tell you something though. Blanche made it clear that she wasn't, she didn't want to get married. She's 25 years old. So people are like, eh, she's kind of an old maid, kind of a spinster at that time. We're talking late 1800s until she meets a lawyer she wants to marry. And that's in 1874. So she lets her family know, Dave. And you have to remember, this was at the end of the aristocracy. So if you work at all, you're kind of a bum. So they're like, ew, a lawyer, what a loser. Like, that's essentially what her family is saying. Like, yeah. you can't, like, like, basically, if you have to work, you're a peasant. So they're like this old, that idea of old money, you know? So to prevent her, 
from marrying this lawyer and disgracing the family, her mother and her brother lock her in the attic. So why would they do that? There's some theories. Like maybe she was pregnant, they think, and they were going to put her away for a little while. Mm -hmm. And perhaps she lost the baby and she was up there. Maybe they were thinking Blanche is so headstrong and they knew they couldn't stop her that they had to do something to keep her away. Cause this was going to be really embarrassing for the family. If this, the, she was like the jewel of the family. She's like the young 24, 25 year old, beautiful socialite. And they wanted her to marry someone who is going to keep the family wealthy, not some worker bee. Yeah. So how long was she in there, Greg? So, well, I'll tell you. After about 25 years, the attorney general receives an anonymous letter. Now, you're going to have to forgive the antiquated language here, but this is what it sounds like. I have the honor to inform you of an exceptionally serious occurrence. I speak of a spinster who is locked up in Madame Monnier's house, half-starved and living on a putrid litter for the past 25 years, in a word, her own filth. So when the police found her, they could immediately see that Blanche hadn't seen even sunlight for 25 years. She was covered in rotten food. She was covered in feces. There were bugs all over her. She was completely emaciated. You can look at the pictures of her online. She weighed 55 pounds, 55 pounds. Wow. Right. I mean, can you imagine the scene? You open the door, you're a policeman, and there's this tiny, tiny person, skeletal, bugs crawling all over her, covered in her own. They they said there was, listen to this policeman's account. The unfortunate woman was lying completely naked on rotten straw mattress. All around her was formed a sort of crust made from excrement, fragments of meat, vegetables, fish, and rotten bread. We also saw oyster shells and bugs running across Mademoiselle Monnier's bed. The air was so unbreathable that the odor given off by the room was so rank that it was impossible for us to stay longer to proceed with our investigation. They found that's, this woman in this state. Yeah, that's horrible. From So a 25-year-old beauty taken out of her prime, shoved in an attic for 25 years. So she, now she's 50 and her life is completely lost. So the mother and the brother, of course, they're arrested. 15 days later, the the mother is dead. She just dies. The brother was convicted. He appealed and he was acquitted. And do you want to know why he got off? Why? The judge found that in he, he was going through all the legal documents. And up until this time, there was nothing he could find that instituted a duty to, quote, rescue. So it's it doesn't exist in the penal code. There's no no law saying you have to save someone. It reminds me of like the end, the last episode of Seinfeld where they just let that guy get like beat up. Also, another interesting fact about this, the lawyer who wanted to marry her died unexpectedly shortly, shortly after her confinement. So, I mean, maybe they had this guy killed too. Hmm, interesting. It is interesting. So Dave, Blanche, she lives the rest of her days out she she was going to have an awesome life. I mean, she's a socialite. She had anything she wanted. She was going to go to parties her whole life. Um, she was beautiful. Everyone loved her. Instead, now she's 50 years old. She weighs 55 pounds. She's diagnosed with schizophrenia. Wow. Exhibitionism, which is she's showing herself. Um, oh, we know. Yep. Okay. Do you know this one? Chorophilia. Yep. That means she's sexually aroused by that's, feces. Yep, because of feces. Yep, that's what I was gonna say. <laughs> I mean, that's a decent one. So that's this, a decent one, Greg. Really? I mean, does this remind you of anything? This story? Uh, absolutely not. Okay. Do you know what it reminds me of? Castle actually, Creek? the other the other story may actually both both these stories remind me of it. So I'm gonna wait until the end to say like my my final thoughts of like what I think these man in the iron me. mask. Uh, you know what? No, but. Bubble Good, Boy. Great call on the man in the iron mask. Not Bubble Boy, no. Not Is at that all. Jake Gyllenhaal and Bubble Boy? Yes, and it was DiCaprio for Man in the Iron Mask. And I find, maybe that's what part of this. Like, I find that so intriguing. Here's this guy. Let's put a Oh, Rapunzel. Metal. She's a hidden figure, yeah. Okay. Rapunzel. Tangled. Yeah. Tangled, same girl. All right. So this is, that's that's my story. And I think that that, 
is one of the darkest, most, there's something fascinating about the idea of what would happen to a person if you left them untouched by society and people, like what would they become? I think it's worse for her because she, she was, she was taken out of society and put Mm -hmm. into a room. She knew what she was missing. Yeah. But I mean, so, you know, what's interesting. So like that, what was the core, core phobia? Chorophilia. Yeah. Chorophilia. So you know how that begins, right? Like that's developed because she's surrounded by feces. Yeah. So like somehow, but like, how do you then connect that to getting aroused by it? Well, I mean, she's at a very young age. She hasn't even reached her sexual peak. And she's obviously at, at times going to have to, you know, masturbate through 25 years. And her brain's going to make the connection to probably like make the, the orgasm connection to the smell of feces yeah. because yep. it's what's covering it at all yep. times. Gross. Yeah. Yeah. That's you know the thing. I mean? It's like, she's so like her new reality. Like I feel as at some point, like you dissociate to the point where you no longer have that former reality that you used to have. And now it's like you create, you know, it, it, it kind of speaks to the strength of the human condition, like our resilience, right. The fact that she even survived. The fact, sometimes I, I have a heartburn and I feel like I'm going to pass away. And this woman yeah. is in, locked in an attic eating oysters and, and, and feces. She's eating it to survive. Yeah. Unbelievable story. And how is this not a movie? I thought you reminded you of something. It did. And I'm going to say it now. It reminded me of Flowers in the Attic. I just recently read that yeah, book. I knew you were going to say that. A great, why, you don't like that? You're not a fan? I don't know it. You know, a lot of incest. Kids are locked in the attic. I know that. Yeah, but they're locked in the attic. Essentially, that's what's going on here. They're locked yeah. in the attic and they're forgotten. Right. They, they, they were going to be an embarrassment to the family. The mother wasn't going to be able to remarry if her new husband, who was a lawyer, knew that she was going to have, she had children. So she had to hide them in the attic and she was eventually going to poison them and kill them and bury them in the yard. And no one would have been the wiser. Did I ever tell you about my real life hidden woman uh, story? (laughs) No, is this real? This is real. Hit me with it. So there's a family in my town that when I was in elementary school, one of the young daughters was in my grade and she made a comment about not being able to wait until they got a new nanny because the one they have now smells. Mm -hmm. Turns out they had a woman with intellectual disabilities locked in their basement. And that was who she was referring to. And I was kind of a, I was, I always like think about it. I'm like, wow, I was kind of like privy to this really dark thing that was happening, but I had literally no idea what she was talking about. We were like, you have a nanny. I remember saying you have a nanny. What are you rich? Like, yeah. no, she wasn't rich. It's no. they, they, it was a terrible story. And it was like, they actually, they demolished that house because there was like, a, there was a lot of different things happening with this family, but that was super disturbing to hear that. And that reminds me of Rachel and Pet Cemetery. She was kind of a hidden person. She was hidden. Yep. Well, she was confined because she couldn't move and she was like ill. But they put her in the back room and almost like wanted to forget about her. Yeah. Yeah. Because she was. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. Yeah. I mean, there's the people under the stairs, you know, they're hidden people. The people under the stairs is another great, very creepy, weird movie that I haven't thought about in years. Yeah. So I guess there's like a lot of stories that kind of connect to people being hidden or the idea of like a hidden woman. So um, I guess that can lead me to my story. Yeah, your your personal Possibly story? the best story? <laughs> the most famous story. 100% made, like the more exciting of the two stories. The most famous story no one's ever heard. So it started on a cold, balmy day in 1918 during the, uh, the flu epidemic. Yeah. The good old flu epidemic. When young parents Rose and Joe's Joe Joe's <laughs> Rose and Joe's Rose and Joe Kennedy had their third child, the third Kennedy child, and her name was Rosemary. Uh, so Rosemary was, I think she was the oldest of the daughters, but she was the third child. So they already had two young boys before her. Pretty um, famous young boys. Yeah, I guess if you're into that kind of stuff. <laughs> okay. 
<laughs> so by five, her deficits, her like, what would you call that? Development deficits mm. really started to become more noticeable. So like her physical and emotional develop development was definitely like kind of apparent that it was, there were deficits and she was kind of um, lacking in some of those areas. So it makes sense though. Did you know the reason why they, f- they think that she was um, intellectually Greg, are you, I, I let you do a whole story. Shut up. Okay. <laughs> what the hell? So you do know. <laughs> okay. Wow. This guy. All right. I'll let. Uh, what the hell is wrong with you? <laughs> carry on. I didn't say shit during your story. So she was having difficulty learning speech, minimal communication uh, skills. Uh, she couldn't feed or dress herself. At the time, a lot of the doctors said they didn't know what caused the disability. Well, there might be a good explanation for that. And that explanation was during the whole birthing process. So during the birthing process, the doctor wasn't present. So the nurse informs Rose to just hold it in. You know, just close your legs and hold it in. So... When that's not physically possible for her to just do that, she then, the nurse, puts her hand over Rosemary's head and holds her in for over two hours until the doctor shows up. Two hours. That can't be standard practice. This process... So you're not supposed to do this. No, you're not supposed to hold it in. You're supposed to allow the birth. If the doctor can't be present, you got to just kind of go with it. Even at the time though, Dave, was that how it was? Well, I I think they knew not to do this. I do think they knew not to do this. Uh, So that process possibly and probably limited oxygen, possibly suffocates, you know, the, the baby during the childbirth process, which could definitely have led to some of the intellectual disabilities. You know, as, as I was hearing this, I'm like, this is we just talked about this last week with the Barbie killers. Uh, Paul Bernardo was yeah. also suffocated during childbirth by the umbilical cord. Remember that? You made an yeah. umbilical cord joke. Yep. Very, I very classy of you to mm-hmm. make an umbilical cord joke. <laughs> so that happened. Um, but it's interesting to have two stories. I mean, I'm surprised that the baby survived. That seems like that would be yeah, deadly. This is insane. Yeah. Yeah. 100%. That's so impressive that the baby was still able to come out. And, you know, it's kind of impressive. It's kind of interesting also that, like, that wasn't like super obvious. Like, oh, we should probably be like paying attention to this baby because this whole birthing thing was a nightmare. Like, they're surprised. By how I don't know. It just seems yeah. like that seems very obvious. Um, so, but here's the other thing is like Rose wasn't familiar with disabilities and she didn't understand what was going on with her daughter. I, I think that because of their wealth and their status, their access to individuals with disabilities was probably limited because of the same reasons that we don't know about Rosemary. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's like you you know, obviously, if you're a well-to-do family, you're not displaying the individuals of your family well, at the time. You're not displaying right. the individuals of your family that, you know, pe- they fear that might people might pass judgment or don't represent them as well. I think that's very much of the time of this. Like now, obviously, I think that would be a little bit different, you know, even but, you know, if like a, even in a well-to-do family these days, if a kid has a mental illness, it's not so shocking to assume that they might be hitting hiding them as well you know what i mean well like and not to be political but doesn't uh, to this day like doesn't joe biden have a granddaughter with like it just confirmed granddaughter that with um like one of hunter's kids that they don't take pictures with because he's not it was outside of marriage Hmm. and that's just kind of like a recent thing so this is something that politicians have been doing and joe was very powerful politically this is something that politicians have been doing since probably the beginning of time yeah so Along the lines of doing this, Rose and Joe decide that they're not going to send Rosemary to an institution, which was common at the time. Mm-hmm. But instead, what they end up doing is they kind of just do things at home within their, you know, their walls. Um, they hired a nanny and several tutors to help care for her. Rose seems to be very close with her. And she reportedly played like 10 hours of tennis with Rosemary. Um, you know, every day would play for hours when she never 
played with any of the other children. Mm-hmm. So uh, she was definitely, you know, they attended to her. Uh, they tried to provide her with the best of everything that they could. Um, they also very much stressed to all the the siblings that everyone in the family is to treat Rosemary as equal. So they not they're not to treat her as an outlier. And the kids, from what I understand, took that on. Like they treated yeah. Rosemary as one of you know the same as all of them. Equal, everybody's equal. Do you um, think that Rose felt maybe some kind of guilt? Um, even though she was, that's what she was instructed to do in the hospital, but that's why she spends more time with Rose or maybe just Rose just needs that extra time. Yeah. It's, it's hard to say. I I don't know exactly. It's an, it's an interesting thought. I also wonder if there's an idea that if she thought, if we treated, if we all treat her this way and we, and we treat her like a typical developing person, I wonder if she, her thought was like, at some point she'll meet us at this point too. Mm -hmm. Like, it's almost like if we all just kind of make her meet us at this level, she'll get there eventually. Like, I wonder if she truly understood that some things would be almost impossible for her to meet. Um, But also it's like, they just seemed very kind about how they went about it. It didn't seem like it was like um, trying to force her to be something she's not. It was like, we're just accepting her. Uh, so, I mean, for the most part, her childhood sounded sort of nice, I yeah. guess. Um, I, but I mean, the biggest thing is like, you know, I, I really appreciate that idea of like, we're not going to institutionalize our our child. But so like, what do you think the motivation is for that, though? They're, they don't want to draw attention to it? Yes, 100%. They, I think yeah, it's the they don't. Yeah, they don't want her to become, you know, be out in public and for people to be able to know, like they have a daughter that's out yeah. in an institution that they're not taking care of. Absolutely. Um, but one interesting thought is, so they, they were Catholics and they were outsiders in their own community because they were Catholics, which I thought was interesting. And, but that kind of strengthened the idea of them all sticking together. So I I thought that was kind of an interesting dynamic. And that kind of explains why their bond was all so, you know, so close. Another thing about Rosemary is uh, apparently she was considered to be very pretty. Yeah. And that helped her acclimate in different settings. I guess kids didn't see her as someone who's intellectually disabled, you know, which is sounds weird to say out loud, but it, she, I guess maybe what they're saying more is that she just blended in. Right. And she didn't get bullied or, you know, anything like that, despite the fact that she was held back from, uh, you know, different grades at times and things like that. So things that might have caused other children to have challenging childhood she was able to kind of navigate through with ease i guess and that brings me back to our episode last week where we we're talking about like beauty and things like that and yeah. I, I don't know if that's what this is i think this is more of like hey, look they're just, it is but they're children i think it's more of like she just blended in enough to not stick out as much i guess but if she did stick out it would unsettle the children in some way like at their core in their dna sure if she if she physically looked like she had a disability that would yes i agree with that which sucks it does suck and that but that's i mean that is the reality that i mean especially if you ever if you ever hang around kids they they point out every flaw in every person anything that looks different they're gonna point it out that's just what a kid does right that's what kids do like i feel guilty but i've had times in my life (laughs) kids are the worst i can tell a quick story where (laughs) i my parents, it was a different time. I grew up in the eighties and my parents would, you know, prop me up at the bar and they would be having fun with their friend, fun with their friends. And there was a guy who was, you know, who I knew later on in life, who was awesome, but he had cerebral palsy and they would sit me next to him and be like, Hey Jim, watch little Greg. And I would just sit with this guy with cerebral palsy. And I was terrified of him just because he didn't understand it. I didn't understand it. He was different. And that's what it is with kids. They would they get nervous or they stare at things that they don't necessarily understand. Right. And it's not as malicious, maybe as adults, but like it can come out as malicious at times with the things that they say. So yeah, no, absolutely. But so for Rosemary, I guess this was kind of to her advantage that she didn't have something that made her stand out. Mm -hmm. Another interesting thing with her is her siblings thought that she might have also been epileptic, but it was very much hidden from them. So at times she would have, I guess, like an epileptic seizure and it was she was like quickly like whisked away or they were kind of removed so that she could get you know the treatment or whatever 
so it, it, it's interesting like a lot of things felt feel like they were like being hidden or trying to be like hurry up and whisk away and take care of this so that we can kind of move on and pretend like nothing happened absolutely so on the parents end like rose you know she didn't talk to her friends about it she you know she just tried to keep up appearances and you know present her daughter as if she were typically developing and not like acknowledge you know any of the differences so there was actually some family members and immediate family who were completely unaware that there was anything different about rosemary um, so Rosemary was sent to a Pennsylvania boarding school for people with intellectual disabilities at age 11. And at 15, she was sent to Sacred Heart Convent in Providence, Rhode Island. Wow. Shout out. Did you know that? I did know that. It's, I know where it is, too. It's in Elmhurst. Elmhurst is right by PC. Yeah, it's in, yeah exactly. That's why I, I thought maybe you would know that. Yeah. She received pretty close attention there. She had like two nuns and a special teacher who would educate her all day in a separate classroom. And do you want to know how they, do you know how they got that treatment? Uh, Old rich Joe, deep pockets, Joe, Josie. You know what he did though? What'd he do? He bought the school a new tennis court for their efforts. Oh, cause Rose loves tennis too. Yeah. That's kind of, yeah. But this is his thing. He kind of like buys that treatment that he wants. Right. Right. Like this is I've, I'm taking care of my daughter. I've just given, I've just bought a tennis court. Yeah. So, I mean, at this point, she's she, she's still re- pretty young. Uh, she, she's enjoying a really nice life. Uh, she would go to things like operas, dances, dress fittings, social gatherings. Uh, she accompanied her family to the coronation of Pope Pius XII. Wow. And she even visited the White House. Do you know, like, just a callback to the school in Providence, they had a little dance there, and she was accompanied by her brother, JFK, right there in Providence. That's nice. pretty cool. That's a little. Were you there? <laughs> no. No. Oh, I asked. I I had, yeah. No. <laughs> I'll leave that. Up. Uh, okay. Um, they they saw the Pope. Yeah. Yeah. They did. And and her parents would tell people uh, that she was studying to be a kindergarten teacher, despite yeah. the fact that she could barely read, other than like Winnie the Pooh. Yeah. So it was all this idea of like trying to mask the reality and present something that maybe wasn't real um, and just pretending everything's all good. So they would, you know, constantly want the best care if possible. They, you know, Joe goes as far as, you know, offering to buy a, a hospital, a new ambulance, just to have a specific doctor take her on and, you know, p- potentially cure her of whatever they thought was going on. Um, so around age 22, Rosemary yeah. starts to change a little bit. She becomes more irritable, more challenging, more difficult. She was expelled from a summer camp. She spent a few months at a boarding school in Philly, um, but then was sent to a convent in Washington, D.C. And she began sneaking out there at night to the point where the nuns thought that maybe she was having many sexual partners and feared that she might have an STD. Where is she developmentally here? Is she, is there, like, could you give us like an age? Or This is interesting because... She's presenting, like, considering they, you know, how she developed early on in life, she's presenting significantly closer to like what you would think. Like, she seems like she's like an older teen developmentally, right? Teenage. Yeah. Even like 13, 12, 13, but still, maybe, yeah, maybe even a little older, but yeah, definitely different than like you know the deficits that she had when she was younger so it seemed like she did progress so maybe their idea of like holding her to a certain standard wasn't the worst thing it did help her kind of like be more involved in society and you know and be able to have different opportunities that other people with intellectual disabilities maybe wouldn't have been able to you know afford but her erratic behavior became frustrating to her parents especially joe and he was really worried that she would somehow like embarrass him or or shame the family. And his ultimate fear was that like whatever her behavior was going to do would end up damaging his and the kids' political careers. So you know that's a big fear on his end. So and- Joe's just worried about her, still just worried about her being an embarrassment to the family. Essentially, yeah. What backlash her behavior will have on everybody else? Essentially, and this is around the time where. Uh, John and Robert are being 
like are pretty politically active, right? Her her brother. Sure. Yeah. yeah. So I mean, yeah, he's they're genuinely concerned. You know, it's we can em- envision this in even today. You know, as you mentioned with like some of the stuff you had said earlier about politics and how it's even you know this kind of stuff is still coming up. It's all about appearances. It really yeah. is. Yep. So at age 23, there's a doctor who informs her father of a, of a form of psychosurgery that could help her mood swings and her violent outbursts. This is, of course, a lobotomy. So Joe goes forward with scheduling the procedure, but doesn't inform his wife until after the procedure is already completed. And in November 1941, a prefrontal lobotomy was completed on Roseberry. Now, if they the, do it on the top of her head, yeah, why don't they call it a lobotomy instead of a lobotomy? <laughs> all right, I'm sorry. Yep. Yes, you are. Yes, you are. <laughs> this procedure left her completely incapacitated, unable to take care of herself. Her speech was inco- incoherent. She couldn't walk, and she was incontinent. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean... This isn't a very specific procedure. I mean, we'll uh, we'll definitely talk about lobotomy on a different episode. Yeah, I'm not going to get into details yeah. of the lobotomy because that's an uh, episode itself. But the, but they're essentially just cutting into the frontal part of your brain and watching your reactions and asking you questions until you're unable to answer. Basically, he, here's an interesting thing that I that I read, and I don't know the reality. And this would be great for people if you're interested in the story to maybe look more into. But one of the doctors that performed the lobotomy reported that he felt she only was mentally ill and not and did not have intellectual disabilities. That he felt that she was just depressed. And I don't know if there was any other mental illness going on, but actually didn't feel like she was intellect uh, had intellectual disabilities. Well, if she's communicating even at like a 12-year-old level, that's pretty good. I have a 12 year old in this house and it's like, you're talking, you're just talking to like a, a person, you know, so, I, I kind of think maybe their understanding of intellectual disabilities wasn't like for them to say that. Cause like, you know, development, that, it doesn't seem like that's the case. Yeah. It yeah. I, I feels very much like there was definitely some intellectual disabilities. You can be borderline. You can be like moderate. Yeah. Um, intellectual disabilities, you know, like just cause someone has intellectual disabilities doesn't mean they have to have, like, you know, a 30 IQ is something like that. Like moderate is around 70, right? 70 or below. Yeah. That's like me. So Dave, but yeah. like, honestly, this is like your wheelhouse though. What do you, what do you think to constitute to still stay in the criteria of like an intellectual disability, just to make it easier for people to understand what age range are we talking here? Like how old can someone, is it, does it have to be around a 10 to 12 age? Like, um, you know, reading level and everything like that, or is it, or can someone be 30 years old and have the brain capacity of like a 15 year old? Like, how does that work? Cause how different is a 15 year old? It's a range. Know? It's, it's yeah. literally a range. And that's why I think it's dangerous for, or, you know, like sometimes I'll have disagreements uh, about this because I think there's a very specific idea, you know, like we, the term that would be used previously mental retardation. Mm. I think that that term, there was a, a specific idea of what that was. Right. And I think what, it's important for people to understand is intellectual disabilities is from my understanding is a range of anything below a 70 IQ. Mm-hmm. So if you're at the cusp and you're like 68 IQ, you would be considered what mild, moderate, I guess. Right. And you're still functioning pretty well, pretty well, pretty well. I work with a ton of people that are right at that level and they are you know able to function in society in independent living settings or maybe just need like a little bit of support um greg you've kind of started to get into my world a little bit with some referrals and you've kind of been able to meet some people so you're kind of getting an idea of uh the kind of individuals that i'm I'm kind of of awesome individuals yeah right so i mean i think we're just being of the same person it's just awesome people yeah i mean and that's the thing and like you know it's I, I think it's hard because some people who maybe aren't involved in that world see it as like someone who's maybe very low functioning and so that's not always the case. Like maybe you can answer this question and maybe people have this, this question. Cause I know I do, and it feels inappropriate to ask. So I'll do that. Um, 
Because it seems like what's going on, like if we think of depression, sometimes we can label it like some of our behaviors as like psychomotor retardation, where like we're moving slower than we normally would. We're like having a hard time getting out of bed. Really, like so. It seems like mental retardation. It it just essentially means that the person is behind where they should be for their age. And why is that? Why has that word developed such a negative connotation? Eminem. Eminem. No, no, I'm using this as like an example. No, it's like people like, like it, you know, it's like how he would say words as like a slur, right? Or as like, what is it? A slight towards someone, right? So then suddenly a word that actually maybe wasn't a slight is now considered a slight. And like we grew up in the 90s, we said a bunch of things that are so socially inappropriate today. So we understand exactly what I'm referring to here. Yeah, I'm not going to go there. <laughs> every like literally, we would have canceled ourselves. Like if we could go back and listen yeah. to the things we would have said. And it's, well, it's the thing. It's like just to give ourselves a little grace for that. Time we don't period. need to. We don't need we to. The intentions weren't there though. There we, we don't need. We intentions. don't even need to because yeah. no, no matter what, like the word was the word, yeah, and we just right. just we would ex- we would explain it away to try to justify, but it's still. It, it, I think that's one of the better things that has happened in today's yeah. society is we're not using words that actually refer to people and then being like, no, I'm not saying I'm not talking about them. I'm just saying that word right. means this. Like, you know what it is? It's it's ignorant. That's what it is. Yeah. Yeah. We don't need to do that. But yeah. like, that's what happened with that, with that phrase. And that's why every like five or 10 years, we're constantly having to return mm-hmm. the field of human services and like coming up with words it you know like the way we refer to the people we work with mm. the way we refer to intellectual disabilities it constantly is changing and i feel like it's because every so often something gets a negative connotation or something now multiple is like, personalities you got yeah. i think uh, billy milligan did it, did that one in yep because it was associated with murder you know it's an interesting one uh so when i first started working in group homes we heavily referred to our individuals that we worked with as clients and then that became a negative connotation. But like, if you think of it like a business world, if I'm working with a client, that's like yeah. not a negative thing. So it felt like very like respectful, but then it almost became like, oh, that's your client. Like, and it became, it wasn't even like that it became a slight, that it was like used as slights. It was almost like it became a term of like ownership or like othering. So then we had to like change it. And yeah. that was like another weird development. That that I know I'm getting on a tangent right now, but yeah. All right. All right. Fine. Well, I just, right. I'm just thinking about how lang- like this idea of language and how we refer to people Absolutely. is interesting, is interesting. So we got Rosemary Kennedy. She just had so a lobotomy. She, yeah. So let's get to the point where she's actually hidden. Okay. She has the lobotomy. She is immediately sent to a facility in Wisconsin in 1941, sent to a facility in Wisconsin where she stays for the remainder of her life. The remainder of her life. She passes away in 2005 at the age of 86 of natural causes. She spent a long time in that facility. Yeah. She is the unknown Kennedy. Yeah. Do you know this little, I don't want to steal your thunder. um, You know, it would take Rose 20 years to visit her daughter and Joe would never go. Yeah. So there's some thoughts about th- that. So they were definitely obviously horrified, disappointed by the results. I think Rose and Joe, well, Rose probably had a lot of resentment towards Joe for going forward and not informing her of it. Yeah. The positive of this, though, was the siblings who stayed in contact with her throughout. Especially yeah. Eunice, who became like the coordinator of her care. And later went on to found the Special Olympics. That is so awesome. Yep. Eunice Kennedy Shriver, right? I mean, she's, that's um, Marie Shriver. Arnold Schwartz, yeah, Marie Shriver's mother and then Arnold Schwarzenegger's stepmother, which explains like his involvement. Wait, in- is that, yeah, I guess this is, wait, is that a stepmother? Is that how that well, works? That's her mom. Yeah. His wife's mom would be his stepmom. No, not mother, stepmom. What am I saying? What mother am I in-law. saying? Mother-in-law. Oh my god, stepmom. <laughs> I see stepmom. <laughs> I'm I'm sticking to it. You know what? I, you know, I'm doubling that. down on that one. Step-mom. That's fine. 
It's late. Uh, it's funny. So what's his motive? Like, I don't understand. So Joe never had to do this. This was all unnecessary because she was. He wanted to fix her. He wanted like he wasn't. I think Rose had a level of acceptance, but also had the ability to understand life can move on. Even if my daughter is different, like we can. She she was like that. I'm going to protect the family. I'm going to like I'm going to just I got it all figured out. Like, we're going to move forward. This We're going to do this. It felt very much like she was going to just try to, like, act like everything's normal as, like, a, a protective mom does and save face. Joe could not take the chance that his daughter was going to be different, was going to stand out, was going to cause judgment on them. And he took matters into his own hands. And no one thought, no, but you can't say Joe thought he was going to fix her. He was going to silence her and put a stop to you know, her violent outbursts, her possible pregnancy, her, her lewd behavior. Sure. But I don't think he, I don't think they assumed that the result was going to be silencing because this was marketed. This reminded me of like, it felt almost like you think in like old Western times where someone has like an elixir and they're like trying to sell it. It felt like they were selling lobotomies. Like they were trying to sell this new procedure to them and like, Oh, this will help fix your, fix your daughter. And she'll be, you know, a better, a better person after this. Like, I feel like he, I don't know if silence would be the right word for it or just like, he thought it was going to change her into this daughter that he always wanted, I guess. Mm. Maybe, but, what ends up happening is, you know, the theme of this of this episode is she becomes hidden. She, she they end up doing exactly what they vowed they weren't going to do to her in the beginning. So she's heading into this facility in like, you know, what year is this? 1941. Okay. And they don't reveal this. The Kennedys don't reveal this until 1987. Yeah. That is some good hiding. That's really dark and sad. So is society in a place where this is still possible today? Well, of course. So as long as there's embarrassment, shame, even even I was thinking like jealousy. If someone, you know, didn't want their wife to leave them or whatever. You people people hide people all the time. Like they kidnap girls and put them in their you know, basements for, you know, as sex slaves. Yes. People are hidden. People will always be hidden as long as there are the darker elements of humanity. Well, what you're describing though, is those are for like malicious intent with individuals who are like the, the two stars we just described is within mm-hmm. families. And I think that's what makes it so much harder to for like, you know, crimes happen. People are, there's bad people out in that world. We can, in this world, we can obviously understand that and have a healthy sense of fear about that at times, and hopefully rein it in when we need to. But to think that our own family how about can this? Do this, how about Britney Spears? In a sense, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's that's one. I mean, they're hidden in sight. Is the is the story with her right? Like, because we we see her, we have we have a idea of. We we only know what they want us to see of her, right? Like right. They, there's a sense of who she is, but that's we find out later that that's not even the reality. And but that's what like the Kennedys were doing too. They were showing like, hey, look, yeah. this is my daughter. Look for him a distance. She's fine. Exactly. You know? Yeah. Unlike Blanche. Right, Blanche. Blanche. Poor Blanche. Yeah. I think this is I, who is the sadder story. Blanche. Oh yeah. So no, actually, you know what? I don't. It's so funny if you think about these two stories, and I don't want to minimize Blanche's story. Their stories are reversed, in a way. Mm. Like Benjamin when Button. Blanche gets a, and it's Blanche from now on. Blanche gets a chance to reverse, or at least try to salvage some existence in her later years. Rosemary never got that opportunity. No, but Blanche was robbed of her potential mental faculties, too. Let's not forget, Rosemary's only 22 when this happens, though. So, yeah, so she lives 60 years, over 65 years that way. Yeah. Which is wild. Um, 
She so did, it's a, like it is the only thing that's good is like not maybe not the only thing. I'm sure there's other good things that happened in Rosemary's life at some point but like her family involvement like she did get visited by her siblings and they took her out at times and visited other family members it's just yeah it's just who knows what could have been of her life Mm. you're right it's um so this these are the themes then you know embarrassment which I mean is I guess to make people feel bad about their social or personal mistakes so they don't repeat them. I think that's the evolutionary role in that. But what I think about shame is a little bit different because when you're doing something shameful, it's the same idea as embarrassment. It's almost the same motivation, but you're, you're acting outside of your nature and you're, you're doing it purposefully. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what's going on with, with Joe and Blanche, Blanche's parent, mother and brother, like they're, you're doing something shameful you know it's terrible and you're doing it anyway. Yeah. Really dark. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, the other thing that I was kind of just coming to mind is like just the extremes that people will go to to protect or to like maybe it's it's not protection, it's self-serving, but like to avoid their family from like tar- like being viewed in a certain way. Like people keep people's reputation being so important. Yeah, both families. Both families. If your if your assumption is correct about like what some of the reasons they might have hid Blanche, like with like um who she yeah. would marry and stuff like that. It's like, yeah, it's it's to or if she was pregnant. Her. Yeah. Like eerily similar. It's it's all to protect her family. It's and not what, to protect what do those two families have in common? They're both essentially royalty. Yeah. And that's, you know, we've seen this with Countess Bathory, Madame LaLaurie, these people who have this wealth and this power, they they think that they exist in a different, they have a different set of rules than the rest of us. And, you know, another thing I'm thinking about too is when we're talking about some, doing something shameful and knowing you're do, doing something wrong and doing it anyway, like this self-deceit thing, that's like the whole Holocaust. Hmm. The Jews were hidden people. I mean, they're, 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 I think they identify themselves as, as the chosen people, but in the case of the, the Holocaust, they were, they were hidden people. The concentration camps, I don't even think there were any in Germany. They were all in other countries, hmm. mostly Poland, I think. But that's, that's hiding these people from the citizens, even though people kind of know what's going on. So, so, you, you know what, Greg, I guess you're right with your theory. Like you really can't trust wealthy people. You're, you're correct. You're right. That's that's what your point was, right? I think that's basically it. <laughs> do you? I mean, do you disagree? I think we always should have um, an awareness of the extremes that people will go to to protect their wealth or mm-hmm. reputation. Is that safe to say? That's safe to say, and it's also safe to say that absolute power corrupts absolutely. Isn't that what they say? Sure. I mean, if you have the money to do anything you want you kind of just do whatever you want. Yeah. And you'll I think, do anything to not be in a position where you don't have it. it. What makes me sad is to think like, if if I wanted to look at Joe as a sympathetic figure rather than a villain, which I mean, I'm not trying to make him look like a villain, but his action. But he is a villain. His he action is. kind of looks like a villain. Uh, if I wanted to make him look like a sympathetic person though, I could say like, oh, he went through with this hoping his daughter could be saved because she was going down a path and she you know that felt challenging for her and who wants to see their their child go down that path and then this happens like that's kind of sad too yeah that twist isn't as juicy though no it's not a juicy twist and i think that even if joe is they said to him look this is 50 50 i don't think the i think i don't, think they, I I don't think they sold it that way i think they were like this is the miracle thing and but if that was the case don't you think joe would have used his power to take that doctor out somehow or shut that, that hospital down, whatever, something. Yeah. They found him. In but he couldn't, he ocean. couldn't. Oh yeah. Okay. They, <laughs> they couldn't because that would make the papers. And then people would know that Joe yeah. had a, a, his daughter lobotomized. Yep. And he definitely didn't want people to know that. Well, right. Dave, I think, you know, that about does it for this one. What do you think? I think we're done.
Okay. <laughs> we are, we're done here. Well, should we thank everyone for all their um, recent downloads and how well things have been going? And we appreciate well, that. That seems kind of crass to like okay. call them downloads. You know, I'd rather call them listens. Okay, listens. <laughs> you guys are doing a great job out there. We appreciate you. So thanks for, for listening. And we appreciate people who have reached out. As Greg mentioned last week, we got some, you know, a pretty cool email from a listener named uh, Joe who makes us feel rather dumb, but that's just a cognitive distortion that we both have about ourselves. Uh, but it's so cool to actually hear people like kind of taking, you know, the topics and themes and moving forward with them doing their own research or kind of filling the gaps of things that we weren't aware of uh, to help us even gather more information. And, you know, that's one example of, a number of times that's happened with this podcast. So we really appreciate that. And we hope you guys continue to do so. Um, I just realized I also never plug our social media. It's rather lackluster. So if you love lackluster stuff, follow us on Instagram. Yeah. Follow us on Twitter. Unconventional Therapist Guide to Nothing on Instagram. Pretty sure it's the same on Twitter. I don't even really know. Uh, I tried looking for us one time and couldn't find it. And I was like, I can't even find my own damn podcast on here. So that's not a great thing. Um, I make some cool cover art for our episodes. Dave, I got to admit, you do. Yeah, I know. They're sick, right? Yeah, it's really cool. You I never give it up for those. For those you are a talented too. guy, and I appreciate everything you've done. <laughs> that's the so, those, so, yeah. And then sometimes we try to throw in a little supplemental uh, content about the episodes, but I, I mean, we probably need to put more effort into it. So if you guys want to give us a follow on there, we'll, if we see that, we'll, it'll motivate us. <laughs> That's we'll absolutely true. Yes. But you got to do the work first before us. Please. You first. We're, we're then doing us. a lot over here. Yeah. This is a lot. It's a lot of work. <laughs> All right, everybody. Thank you again for listening. Have yourself. A nice Merry little, little Christmas. Yeah. Mm, uh, all right. Not yet? Not yet. You all skip right. over Halloween, dude. Oh, that's right. We would never want to do that. No, have oh, yourself a nice, little, a nice, little, nice little night. Nice little nightcap after this one. And uh, yeah, take it easy. See you later. See you later. <laughs>